Thanks for joining us today at Launch Point Church in Lebanon, Tennessee. We believe the Bible is the written word of God without error and useful for every part of our lives. We believe that through learning and teaching of the word, others might come to know God, find freedom, discover their purpose, and make a difference. Thanks again and enjoy today's message from Pastor Jim Kubik. All right, so we are in the, we're in the seven letters and... We are teaching out of the message of Thyatira, the letter to Thyatira today. And so that's chapter 2 of Revelation. If you want to go ahead and turn there, while you're turning there, I want to talk to you about God's expectation of the church. God's expectation of the church. Listen to me. You 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 don't have to look at me, but just make sure you're listening. God's expectation is that we be a holy and blameless church. That we be a holy and blameless institution and individual. Because the church is both personal and congregational. Amen? His desire in all of these letters is to show the church where it is, where it is behaving well and where it is behaving poorly and where it, where it needs to be corrected. And then to comfort them in that correction so that they understand that correction always comes from a place of Discipline, discipline always happens to restore us back to our proper place. God's not an abusive guy. We do not serve an abusive guy. Abusive people beat on people for the sake of beating on people. Disciplined people, people that do discipline or or discipline their children do so because there's been a trust broken. There's been an issue that needs to be corrected so that that person, the child or whatever, can be brought back into alignment to the will of his father. In our case, Father God. Amen? And so he talks to us in these letters to show us where the church historically has fallen short and where the church historically has done well. And I think these are universal truths regardless of what church you attend because we see each of these problems, each of these good things in every church that I've ever been a part of or seen. And so today we're going to talk about the importance of being a holy and blameless church. God expects us to be holy and blameless, and He's willing to deal with the sins in our midst, and He's asking us to deal with the sins in our midst. Amen? This is the challenge. That God asks us, not demands us to deal with the sin in our midst, whether it's a personal sin or a congregational sin. Because when we deal with sin, it brings the believer back to a place of righteousness, like I talked about, and it keeps the purity of the church. It, pure, it purges the church from the things that would destroy it from the inside. And so he declares to us, keep the church holy. Make sure the church remains pure. I feel like I could say this till I'm blue in the face. God has called us to a pure church because Christ died for a pure, holy, and blameless church. Amen? But sadly, we're not. Even we're not. There's flaws in us. Flaws in our personal character. Flaws in the way that we do things. There's flaws in every church. But how are we dealing with that? Why should we be dealing with that? Paul was willing to deal with that. He told Timothy in 1 Timothy 1.20, he says, Among these, those who are in, a, in, a, 
in Ephesian, or were in the Ephesian church, among these, those who, according to verse 19, rejected their faith, are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, so that they will be taught not to blaspheme. So he was willing to even eject people from the church so that those people may come back to themselves, so that they might come back to Christ, so that they may no longer blaspheme the Lord, but glorify the Lord in their life. Let me tell you, there's a, there's a true importance, not just in church discipline as it's laid out in Matthew, where I go to a brother and a brother and I have a conversation. If he doesn't act right, I bring a brother along with me and we confront that brother. But then there's another step. If they still refuse, then it's your job to remove them and take your hand off of them and turn them over. Now that's a hard word, but this is what we're called to do. This is why, because when people have nothing to stand on, they'll always look for hope. And Jesus Christ is the only hope they're going to find. The enemy is always going to run them to destruction. Our door is shadowed over and over and over again with people that thought they could stand under the weight of their own wisdom and fail. And now they come looking for the hope that is Christ Jesus. But that only happens if we allow it to happen. I'm telling you this because what I see a lot of times is we'll talk to people and they'll get offended and they'll leave and then there's this, I guess they're a gossiping clutch. Better, better way to put it is anything. This clutch of people gather around them from the church and say, it's okay, it's going to be alright. God loves you. Pastor Jim, the elders, so and so shouldn't have talked to you like that. It's going to be alright. And what you're doing is you're enabling and empowering their disobedience. And you're going to end up costing them far more than their comfort. So Paul was willing to address the issue to the point of even removing the, con the congregants from their midst that were creating deceptive practice or were doing things they shouldn't be doing because he knew by revelation that God requires a pure church. His motivation is seen in the letter to Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. This is Paul talking to the church. For I betrothed you to one husband, so that to Christ I might present you as a pure virgin. So he said, I don't want you to suffer. I don't want you to struggle. I gave you away to the only true groom that there is. And I, I presented you as a pure virgin. Holy, spotless, blameless. That's why I talk ugly to you. Or that's why, not ugly, Paul never talked ugly, but he was very pointed. That's why I talk pointedly to you. we got to start getting to a place as a church, as a body of believers, as individuals that aren't scared to tell people the truth, but we have to be able to, we must be willing to do it with the right motivation, which is because we love them and we want them not to be in an adulterous relationship, but to be in a pure and blameless relationship with the Lord. It's hard, I know, but the fact of the matter is, so many in today's generation aren't getting it right. So many churches have fallen into what the church of Thyatira fell into, which is tolerance and compromise. I've asked Angela, not yet, hold on a second. I've asked Angela to put a picture up, and I'll have her do that in just a second, of a picture I took in Nashville this week. And I have gotten 
I've had people agree with me and I've had people come at me half sideways. But this is the picture that I took in front of a church in Nashville. If you can't make out what this is, it's got the rainbow flag on their, si on their sign. The rainbow flag hanging, a draping over the cross. This is what happens when the world compromises or the church compromises and is intolerant with the world. This won't stand. This has no eternal value. This does nothing but except, except make you comfortable. Because here's the truth. The truth, and it's the truth nobody wants to hear, the truth is exclusive. Period. We live in an inclusive society. Kingdom of God is not inclusive. It's exclusive to those who accept the truth. Now, the beautiful thing about its exclusivity is that as we accept it as the truth, it's willing to be inclusive to whoever, whomever decides to accept that truth. For that all may be saved and come to a knowing of God. That's, that's the hope. But until they accept the truth, the truth is exclusive. The truth is always going to be exclusive. This only... Stay, oh, I'm sorry. This church, and I'm not going to name it because... Well, I've already put it out there, but it's irrelevant which church it is. Sadly, I see this in far too many churches. And you're all, Pastor Jim, you're bashing churches that embrace homosexuality. I'm, I'm not bashing anybody. I'm declaring the truth, and I'm not just talking about homosexuality. You live a lifestyle of a liar, you're going to hell. You live the lifestyle of a thief, you're going to hell. You live a lifestyle of sexual immorality, whatever that looks like. Some of y'all... Not some of y'all, but some people be all amen while having an adulterous relationship on their wife. That sexual immorality is going to send you to hell the same way this sexual immorality will. And I know that's tough, but it's supposed to be tough. This, the church, not Launch Point Church, the church is to be pure and holy and blameless, period. And we have to be willing to love one another enough to address this issue. The flack that I got over this post is that they presume to believe that because I'm willing to speak against it, I must not love them. That's a lie straight out of the pit of hell too. I'm willing to tell you the truth even if you no longer talk to me because I love you. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, don't, it doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter what you give away. That's the summation of verses 1, 2, and 3. If you do it without love, it means nothing. And so because we love, because the church should be a place of love, we are willing to, to, to walk in the truth uncompromised. Tolerance is a virtue of a man with no conviction. I'm going to wait for somebody to write that down. Because some of us need to sit on it for a while. That's not mine, that's my pastor's. Tolerance is the virtue of a man with no conviction. You don't tolerate sin in the church because you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. Your conviction dictates that you address that. Why? Why? Because God himself and Christ Jesus addressed it.
Amen? And he did it, that specific thing, tolerance of the sinful world inside the church in the letter to Thyatira. Let me read it to you. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God who is eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like burning burnished bronze says this I know your deeds and your love and faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first but I have this against you just so you know the church at Thyatira is the smallest of all the seven churches but has the longest passage of rebuke in regard to the seven churches but this I have against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. It's a gracious guy that gives you time to repent of your immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, which is to say death, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds, of her deeds. And I will kill her children in pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. But I say to you, the rest who are in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they call them, I place no further burden on you. Nevertheless, what you have, hold fast until I come. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. Also, as I also have received authority from my Father, I will give him the morning star. He who has ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. So I wanna, I'm going to deal with this in the same way I've dealt with all the letters uh, according to the same pattern and format. I'm going to take up just a few moments to talk about the community because where the community is is significant in building the context for why the church is the way that it is. Community, the correspondent, who wrote it and how he's identifying himself, Christ Jesus, the commendation that he gave them, the, the good word that he gave them, the correction that he gives them, and ultimately the comfort if they overcome. And so real fast, let me talk to you about the community of Thyatira. The community of Thyatira is, was built, sadly, as a uh, fortress city, as a defensive city. I say sadly because they built a defensive city on flat land, so it had no natural defense, which means for anybody that wanted to move into assault um, Pergamum or any of the other cities on the road, Thyatira ended up being just a speed bump for them. And so the, the city ended up being destroyed, rebuilt, destroyed and rebuilt over and over again until about 190 B.C. when the Romans finally took it over and it had a time of peace. I tell you that for this reason. Because that was 190 B.C. So a couple hundred years plus after that, this letter is written that taking over by the Romans started the greatest age of prosperity in the city of Thyatira. This is kind of the reason I tell you all of this. Because prosperity 
will almost always in the heart of men lead to complacency. And complacency will almost always lead to tolerance of the things God refuses. And then acceptance. And then celebration of the things God accepts. And then the condemnation of those who stand on the truth, which is what we see in our country right now. We've moved past just tolerating sin. We allow it and celebrate it and condemn anyone that doesn't celebrate it. I dare you to put the same picture on Facebook I put on there and defend it. Actually, I'd prefer you didn't because I don't want you to go through that. My, my point is some people will argue with you that you're wrong for telling the truth. But it started the greatest time of prosperity for them. In that city, they, they didn't have huge temples of idol worship like they did in many of the other cities, Smyrna and Ephesus and all of those things, all of those places. What they did have was what's called guilds, which is a modern day, like a labor union. So you belong to the construction guild or you belong to the linen guild. It's, it's there that the, um, what's her name? I can't remember. Uh, Lydia, a producer of purple fabrics, would have belonged to a guild much like this. And in order, in every guild had a specific deity to which it worshipped, to which it had its own feasts and these kinds of things. And so it had a patron deity of construction. Does this sound familiar to you? Have a patron, a patron god of what law enforcement or whatever. A lot of times you'll see Catholic saints or whatever. That's that's idolatry. Somebody go, I grew up Catholic. Okay, let me tell you the truth. A patron saint, anything that you're praying to is idolatry because we pray in the name of Jesus. So with that being said, they all had their own individual patron saints. And in order to work in that particular area, you had to be willing to pay homage to that particular deity. And so they had a choice to make. Do I eat foods I shouldn't eat? Do I worship a God I shouldn't worship? Or do I become jobless? That's a hard, that's a hard place to be. Especially in a society that was run by guilds, by those unions. But there was a faithful element among them. And we're going to talk about that in just a moment. But that's why it was like that's why they were so willing to compromise there. Because they were in a time of prosperity. Because in order to work and continue to be prosperous, they had to decide, am I going to belong to this or am I not going to belong to this? Can I tell you, we are at a crossroads in our nation, in our world, that we have to answer the question, am I going to belong to the world? Am I going to belong? to Christ? Am I going to live in impurity or am I going to live in purity? Both inside the church and outside the church, God is calling his church, you're going to hear me say this a thousand times, to, a, to be a church of purity individually and congregationally. It's time to put childish things away. Everybody got me? I ain't got into the teaching yet. But I feel like I've said all that really needs to be said. But I'm still going to do the teaching. 
And then, so that's the community. So who was talking to them? Jesus was talking to them. And like all the other letters, Jesus introduces himself according to that particular city's need, according to that church's need. This is how he introduces himself to them. Flipped away from it. No, I didn't. Sorry. He said, the Son of God. He said, I want there to be no doubt. I am coming to you as the Son of God, as deity, as the creator God. You need to know who I am. There are places in the scripture that he is addressed as Son of Man. And he's addressed in those places as the Son of Man to show that he, he can understand our, our situation, that he's overcome the world, that, that he has been persecuted, that he has walked in humility. That is what the Son of Man did, but he says, I'm, I'm not addressing myself like that today. I'm telling you, I'm, I am the Son of God. Amen. I am deity. I have the authority to tell you what I'm about to tell you. Let there be no doubt, I am omnipresent. I am omnipotent. I am transcendent. I am all of these things, these infinite things that you can't comprehend. So I'm just going to need you to sit back and trust that I am God. So he says, I am the Son of God. He, or who has eyes like a flame of fire, has eyes like a flame of fire. As the divine Son of God, capable of judgment, his eyes are capable of piercing the darkness and causing all sinfulness to be exposed. Amen. Did you hear that? I got my secret sin. No, you don't. You got your secret sin from me. I may not know your secret sin. But Second Chronicles tells us this. Might I, might I go to the Old Testament for a few minute? Second Chronicles 16.9 For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. Jesus' eye, the, the, the eyes of God roam to and from across the earth and see everything. One of the very first sermons I preached here was about the consciousness of God. That we need to be conscious of the God that is around us every minute of the day. And that's what he's saying. I have eyes to see you. And what I see in you, I will burn out of you. Woo. And he identifies himself as having feet like burnished bronze. That in his deity is holy and pure. That he is pure like a bronze that has been burnished and had all the impurities pulled from it. And because I'm pure, because I'm God, because I see all things, and because I'm pure, I expect you to be pure. And if you'll submit to my hand, I'll pull all the bad things out of you too. What about a God that loves us enough to not just identify himself, but we see so much promise and truth in his identification of himself. That where we struggle, he's strong. Where we're impure, he's pure. And because he knows our impurity, he's willing to pull those impurities out of us if we will listen, if we don't compromise, if we aren't tolerant, if we don't continue to hold on to our secret sin. 
There's a place of peace in your life, in all of our lives, that so many people fall short of grabbing a hold of. I was watching my grandson this afternoon, and he, he was laying on a blanket, and he just, he was asleep. And just out of nowhere, he just smiled. His face would get all big. There's a peace like that in the presence of God. One that you don't have to worry about, you don't have to struggle with, where you can be content, where you can be happy. Jesus Christ died to give you that kind of peace. A greater peace than that kind of peace. A peace we can't comprehend. But we have to acknowledge who he is. And he was these things for a reason. Because he wanted them to know that he knew who they were. He had the authority of God to deal with who they were. And that he would deal with them. Get right or suffer the wrath of God is what his declaration of himself said. Verse 19, it gives their commendation. He says, I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. There was a, still a remnant in that church that was all of these things. They still loved right. Their faith was right. Their service was right. Their perseverance was right. They loved well. They had faith to believe. They were dependable, reliable, consistent. This is what faith means. That they had a fidelity about them towards the groom that all of us should have. And when you have faith and love, guess what, guess what you have as a byproduct of those things? You have service and perseverance. Because you can't love someone and not serve them. You can't have faith in the God you say you have faith in and not persevere to the end. So he said, listen, I see, I see those of you that are still doing right. And I commend you for that. But then he, then he tells them, but for the rest of you, let me talk to you about the greater problem in the church that you're part of. You've compromised internally. He says in verses 20 through 25, but I have this against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. This isn't the, there, there probably wasn't an actual woman Jezebel. This was the spirit like Jezebel of the Old Testament. They were walking in the spirit of Jezebel. What does that mean? If you'll go to 1 Kings, 31 through 33, 16. Let me tell you what that means. Let me just, just talk to you for a second. 31 through 30. It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him. To, this is talking about Ahab. Trivial thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. Could you imagine the word describing you like that for all of eternity? That his sinfulness became such a thing that it seemed trivial to him? It came about as though it had been a trivial thing for him to walk in the sons of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat. And he married Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbal, king of Sidonians, and went to serve Baal and Baal and worshipped him. So he, King Ahab, erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. Ahab, who was the king, also made the Asherah. Thus Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel than all the kings of Israel who were before him. Them all the kings of Israel who were before him. 
Why do I read this? Because the Jezebel wasn't the actual authority. The Jezebel got close enough to the authority to cause the authority to tolerate the sin. I still believe that there, there is an office of prophet. But you better be very careful who you allow to prophesy in your midst. Because those people you give voice to, if they aren't of the Lord, that's why you test the spirits, if they aren't of the Lord, they can get close enough to the head that they turn the neck. And this is what was happening in Thyatira. That there was a spirit amongst them that was causing them to work through the leadership that caused the leadership to allow compromise in the church. Let me tell you, this is not a place for Baal. This is not a place for the erection of Asherah poles. This is a place that glorifies Christ Jesus and Christ Jesus alone. It's not about Jim Kubik. It's not about Pastor Leonard. It's not about Pastor Rick. It's not about any of you. It doesn't minimize the love that we have for you. This is about Jesus and Him glorified in everything that we do. I feel like I need to make that public declaration should anyone decide that they think that they know better. A couple of things will happen to you. You will be confronted. And if you are confronted and not changing, you will be asked to leave because the purity of the church is more important than your feelings. Everybody all right? I hope you're all right. That's the truth of the word of God. This is such a damnable offense for the spirit of Jezebel to stand in a church, to cause the leadership of the church to compromise. The world is literally upside down right now because leaders stopped being leaders. Everybody says they want one until they get one. And then when they get one, they're all, can you believe he talked to me like that? You weren't looking for a leader. You were looking for somebody to agree with you, which means you were looking for a peer. God calls us to lead and lead well. But for you to lead and lead well too. You know the best kind of church? The best kind of church is where a brother goes to a brother and a pastor never has to get involved in that in the first place. How awesome would it be if you were in, or if one of you saw one of your brothers doing something they shouldn't do, and you went to them in private and said, hey, let me have a talk with you about that. I don't want you to be hurt. I don't want the church to be hurt. I want you to walk in the wholeness and the fullness of the spirit that God gave you. Let me tell you what you're doing and how to fix it. Because I love you. You guys get together, you figure it out. He, well, he figures it out. He seeks the face of God in repentance. And I'm over here just clueless that it ever happened. That's the church I'd love to pastor right there. Amen? That's the church that I should pastor. Is everybody okay with that? I know I'm going over. I'm going to go over a few more minutes. <laughs> like their Old Testament counterpart, they didn't recognize the serious consequence of letting sin in the church. Tyre Tyre did Jesus told us the tragedy 
that befalls those who cause other people to sin and allow that sin. I'm going to read something to you real quick out of Matthew chapter 18, 6 through 10. But whoever causes one of these little ones to believe in me to stumble. When he's saying little ones, he doesn't mean children. He means he needs his spiritual children. It would be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That should freak you out. That should create a holy reverence and fear in you. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. Woe to the world for hanging flags on crosses. Woe to the world for the man who sits next to his wife in a church looking holy, going home and beating her, mistreating her, or being an adulterer, or a wife that does the same to her husband. Or woe be to the person who would rather climb a tree to lie than stand on the ground and tell you the truth. I'm not trying to isolate a sin. I'm telling you that all sin unconfronted leads to destruction. If your hand your if your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into the eternal fire. For if your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out, throw it from you. But it continues on and continues on. In verse 10 it says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones, one of these children. For I say to you that their, that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. When we compromise the truth, we create a stumbling block and there is punishment for us. And that's what he's saying to the church in Thyatira. That's what he's saying to the church today. I'm proud of you, those who are faithful to love. They're faithful to faithfulness. That because of that, serve and persevere. But to those of you who haven't, you got to get right. He says, then he offers comfort, though, because he's a gracious guy. He says, if you have an ear, hear. And he promises the faithful two things. He who overcomes and he who keeps my deeds unto the end, to him will I give authority over the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron as the vessels of the potter are broken to pieces. As I have also, as I also have received authority from my father. There's going to be a time in the millennial kingdom where you're going to be given authority because of your faithfulness. But don't get hung up on the, the authority. Once you get hung up on number two, the second thing, then I will give him the morning star. Jesus Christ is that morning star. Take your stuff. Keep your authority. Keep your good position in the community. Give me the morning star. Give me Jesus. Let this place, like I started, be about Jesus. Let this place be unwilling to compromise and be a reflection of the morning star that those around us may see the truth and not compromise too. Amen. <laughs>